Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Boy, if there wasn't a time when I couldn't preach about 10 sermons based on these readings today, and I thought about doing them all, but I remembered that uh, Ryan keeps a uh, uh, sniper's rifle in the sound booth, and uh, so I decided it would be best. <laughs> By the way, we saw on Facebook your new puppy you got. Congratulations. That, nice of you to rescue a puppy there. Thanks. Um, yeah, I watch out for those sniper's rifles. But the, uh, I do want to say one thing about Galatians before we talk about the gospel. Uh, this is such an important thing, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is something we should all be praying for, striving for. Uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are things you're given. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is something that grows in us. Uh, it's the difference between Christmas presents under a Christmas tree and apple on an apple tree. Uh, one uh, we really have nothing to do with except to open it up. Okay, those are the gifts of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit requires time, maturing, and effort. But it's the greatest sign of spiritual maturity that I believe we can see in a person. As a matter of fact, until I don't really care how much you know, until I know how much you love. And uh, I mean, I've known some people who were biblical scholars who knew so much and who were just complete jerks. And what it told me is hadn't gotten from here to here yet. And I want to see it get to here in me and in everybody else. So that's what I'm looking for. Uh, and the fruit of the Spirit is something that should be manifest in each one of us as a sign of our continued contact, relationship, and growing with, with the Holy Spirit and with Christ. So keep that in mind as we move on to the gospel, which is, let's look at this passage, uh, Matthew 11, 11. And if there's any... There's an old saying that the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. So I'm about to demonstrate that in this sermon. So you might just want to jot down the citations as I bring them up because I think I'm going to be too fast for you to follow along in your Bible unless you grew up doing sword drills. Uh, but Matthew 11:11 11 says, I tell you the truth among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus sets a real standard with this statement because John the Baptist was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. He didn't do any miracle of which we know. His ministry was not one we'd normally compare to some of the more spectacular prophets like Elijah or Daniel. Yet the one who knows all says John is the greatest. And that's because John had the greatest prophetic mission in the history of the world to proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. And that alone makes you an equal of John the Baptist because you also have that prophetic mission to proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. But there's more for you and me. And it's a bit startling when you read it. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Now, at one time, I thought Jesus was talking about when you die and go to heaven, that those in heaven are greater than John the Baptist. 
But then I realized that really takes the whole thing out of context if you do that. And what I realized was Jesus was talking about a way of life that was soon going to be available to every believer in the here and now. John prophesied Christ's coming. And he went so far as to confess his need for what Jesus would bring. And this is it. In, in Matthew 3.11, he says, He who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Just as an aside, when I was doing seminary and my, my, uh, I did uh, my work at a parish in Washington, D.C., uh, the rector, who was a wonderful man, but who couldn't stand my Texas accent. Uh, every time I would have a reading that said fire, he would go, that doesn't have three syllables. <laughs> so finally I got to the point where every time I would have a reading that said fire, I would just say conflagration. Uh, he, he quit complaining after that. Matthew 3.14 then says, Jesus came to be baptized. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. John confessed his need of Jesus' baptism. Not one of the Old Testament prophets, not even John, had what was about to be offered to the least of all the New Testament saints. Jesus' baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire makes a lifestyle available to each of us, what do you even not even John the Baptist had access to. Now, as hard as it might be for us to grasp, Holy Scripture makes it clear that this kingdom life was the ultimate goal of Jesus and his Father, not salvation. Okay? Now, this is important because we have, in our desire to get people to follow Christ, we have made getting our ticket to heaven the most important thing. And it's very important. But it's not the end. It's the beginning. And when you live your life saying, well, I got my ticket in my back pocket. I can live any way I want because I know I'm going to heaven. You're taking the grace of God in vain. Because there's so much more that God wants for us. And scripture clarifies this over and over again. See, there's a difference between immediate and ultimate goals. Success with an immediate goal makes it possible to reach an ultimate goal. But failure in the immediate goal prevents us from reaching our final goal. For instance, the Dallas Cowboys, okay? They have several immediate goals along the way. Win this game, win this game, win this game, get in the playoffs, win the playoffs get in the championship, win the championship, win, you know, become the, the Super Bowl champions. Each week they have a goal. Those are the immediate goals that lead to the ultimate goal of being the champion. Okay. And each week I have to focus on the immediate goal. In a similar way, similar way salvation was not the ultimate goal of Christ's coming. It was the immediate goal, and it was a glorious one at that. Because without salvation, there was no hope for the ultimate goal, which was to fill each born-again person with the Holy Spirit, giving them access to life in the kingdom of heaven. This goal is the Father's promise in Ezekiel 11:19. I will give them one heart, 
and a new spirit I will put within them. Jesus affirms this in Luke 24, 49, when he says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Notice, don't do anything until you get the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Father promised this. You're not supposed to live the Christian life without it. Please don't try to go evangelize the world without the Holy Spirit in you. Okay? God's desire is not just to get us into his family. He wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God, as it says in Ephesians 3.19. Why is that? Well, as Father Ted Nelson used to say, the Holy Spirit isn't supposed to make you happy. He's there to make you useful. Okay? He wants us to be useful family members. Okay? John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Think about that. Not just do what Jesus did, but do greater things than Jesus did, because he's going to the Father. We always tend to put that aside and go, you know, I think he was serious. And when I talk to people who only have God to rely upon, it's amazing the things that they have seen and done. The Holy Spirit makes a lifestyle available to us that not even John had access to. And this new life is the fulfillment of the Old Testament picture of entering the promised land. Think about this. If the children of Israel had just crossed the Jordan, but... They just became content to live on the other side of the river, never taking the land. They would have missed the purpose for crossing the river in the first place. It wasn't like the promised land was just sitting there, empty, waiting for them to populate it. There were nations to defeat and cities to possess. Contentment, short of God's purposes, would mean having to learn to live with the enemy. Okay? And one thing God is crystal clear on is that he wants no fraternizing with the enemy. And invariably, when we become satisfied with salvation, apart from God's purpose of kingdom dominion, we learn to tolerate the devil in some area of our lives. But the power of the Holy Spirit is given to us that we might destroy the strongholds of evil and take possession for the glory of God. Both in ourselves our own strongholds, and in the world. Why are so many churches today anemic? Well, part of the reason is because we want salvation, but we don't want new life and purpose. We want out of slavery in Egypt, but we don't want to possess the promised land. I mean, that's work, you know. However, we can only receive the fullness of God's promise when we surrender our old lives for the new life waiting for us in the promised land. Christ will give us the baptism of fire when we give him something to burn. Our vocation is to love God and extend God's reign. And we can only do this in the power of his Holy Spirit who brings the kingdom with him. 
Look at these words of Jesus. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The Spirit of God and the kingdom of God are inseparable. The Holy Spirit enforces the Lordship of Jesus, marking his territory with liberty. St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, he gives freedom. The king's domain becomes evident through his work as he sets captives free to live a new life, a full life in the kingdom of heaven, here and now. Notice that the second part of this verse reveals the nature of ministry. Anointed ministry causes the collision of two worlds. The world of darkness with the world of light. And this passage shows the nature of deliverance. When the kingdom of God comes upon someone, the powers of darkness are forced to leave. Okay? Think about the difference between darkness and light. When a light is turned on, darkness doesn't resist. Okay? There's no debate. Like, should we be dark? Should we be light? You know? It doesn't stay dark for a few minutes until after struggling with the light, it finally gives up and lets the light win. On the contrary, light is so superior to darkness that it's immediate. Its victory is immediate. That's why the Holy Spirit has no battle wounds. Okay? He bears no teeth marks from the enemy fighting to retain control. Because Jesus is Lord, period. When the king arrives, pretenders to the throne are banished. By far the greatest gift Jesus and his father have given us is the Holy Spirit himself. And those who discover the value of his presence in a realms of intimacy with God never previously considered possible. Out of this vital relationship rises ministry that was formerly only a dream. The incomprehensible becomes possible with the Holy Spirit. Just, I have so many communications with Father Jerry Kramer, just on a weekly basis, where he's sharing with me the amazing things that are taking place. Just transformation, uh, con conversions, uh, people being healed, all in the name of Jesus Christ. They're not doing those things. The Holy Spirit is doing those things. They just said, Lord, take us. We'll be burnable. <laughs> Give us the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you. It's a promise made by God to all his servants. Moses heard it when he faced the challenge of delivering Israel from Egypt. Joshua received this promise when he led Israel into the promised land. Gideon received the call of God to be a deliverer for Israel. And God sealed it with the same promise. And in the New Testament, this promise doesn't just become upon a person here or there. This new promise becomes upon every believer. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is in the Great Commission. Remember on the banner outside, it says, the blessing is in the go. Jesus says, go into the world and do these things and I will be with you. 
The blessing is in going and doing those things because that is when we experience God in us, working through us. So those with the greatest joy are those who have made the impossible a way of life and constantly are aware of God's presence overflowing in their lives. Now, when is a bottle full? Well, basically, you don't know until it starts overflowing. So it is with the Holy Spirit. Fullness is measured in overflow. When we get introspective, when we focus on ourselves and our frailty, when we worry about other people's sins more than our own, when our eyes are on ourselves rather than on God, we restrict the, restrict the flow of the Holy Spirit. We become like the Dead Sea. Water flows in, but nothing flows out. And little can live in that stagnant water. What releases that water, the Holy Spirit, is faith and compassion. And faith and compassion are never self-centered. Notice how many times in the Gospels, right before he heals someone, we read that Jesus was moved by compassion. He shares the heart of his Father. As a matter of fact, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. And his Father grieves over every result of the fall of man. This is the basis for taking the land and setting captives free. We must understand that evangelism, healing ministries, restoring hearts, freeing people from addictions, liberating people from financial bondage, saving broken marriages, and all the other works of spiritual warfare that we do must be done for the reason our Father in heaven wants them done. Because he has compassion for everyone who is under Satan's power. So if we are to be filled to overflowing, we must also understand that spiritual warfare, taking the land, and setting captives free is not our first priority. That is our assignment in the family business. But our first priority is to be full-fledged members of the family. Okay? Surrendering our lives every day to God. And acknowledging he is our light and our life. When you wake up in the morning, do you say, God, here I am, use me? Or do you say, God, here are my plans, bless them. <laughs> it is here that our hearts begin to beat with our Father's heart. And it's in this stance that our eyes are directed toward the one who can fill us with his Holy Spirit so we can bring his kingdom with us wherever we go. Billy Graham, we think of evangelism, Mother Teresa and her works of mercy, Smith Wigglesworth and his physical healing, C.S. Lewis and his teaching and apologetics, all were used by God because they gave themselves to God. God will give you the baptism of fire if you will give him something to burn. You and I can do that today right now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessing upon our lives that you sent your Son to redeem us from sin and death and to bring us into a relationship with you where we are called not just to be sitting inside the door, but to take the whole estate, 
as our inheritance. Father, allow us to be filled with the Holy Spirit till we are overflowing. And let us set captives free and claim this world for you every day of our lives. Let that be the work that we go about doing as your sons and daughters. Let us give you ourselves so that we may receive your gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.